to be in your presence, to know that we're accepted in the beloved family of God and that we have a Savior that's watching over us and directing our lives and that we can cast all our cares upon you, Lord. What a peace, what a comfort this brings to us because you truly are, as we have sang this morning, you are our rock. We look to you. And now, Lord, let us drink from the rock. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me in your Bible to First Matthew 6. I want to read both passages here in regards to the Lord's Prayer. If you'll stand as I read the Word of God, that would be great. We're going to go from Matthew 6 over to Luke 11. Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray... Go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Now turn with me to... Luke 11, Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And so he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins that we may forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, again, thank you for your word. Bless us with an understanding of all that's implied here in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning we're going to try to understand the deeper truths that Jesus gave us for our personal relationship with God. And that personal relationship is enhanced by our prayer life. And as we've read, uh, and there's a little bit of different wording, which we didn't read there in Matthew, but we shouldn't overlook the familiness of God's kingdom in this prayer that we were given. Our Father is not just another title for the first person of the Godhead. It really means He is our Father. And if God is our Father, then what's that make us? He makes us His children and citizens of His kingdom. 
And that's a very familiar concept in the scriptures. You know, we have the history of the, in the Old Testament of the Israelites. He called them the children of Israel. And so this was not something that uh, was really overt <clears throat> as it is in the New Testament with Jesus. Um, the Israelites would have looked at and viewed God as their father, spiritually speaking, but it wasn't, as we see in the Old Testament, it's really not the emphasis there. But when Jesus came on the scene, this would not have been a new revelation, but uh, uh, something that he emphasized strongly. He's always referring to his father. And so uh, we've learned uh, a lot from his example. But we see as his plan rolled out for us and through the history of the Old Testament that God wanted his own nation since the nations of the earth had rebelled against him. And so he chose Abraham and Sarai, Abram and Sarai, to begin his marvelous work of redemption and ultimately would lead to him, himself entering humanity as one of us. He became our kinsman, redeemer. Jesus is our big brother and now that doesn't sound like a real fitting term since he is God, but that's God's choice, not ours. Think of what Jesus said in John 17. If you can pull that up back there, John 17, 1 through 5, uh, gives us a little glimpse of what it was like before he came to the earth. Jesus spoke these words as he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that you may know that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And it's, uh, the reason why I take the time to read these verses and go to various places in the scriptures is because I want you to have a good working knowledge of the scriptures. I want you to have the ability to open your Bible and show people of the hope that lies within you. Why do you believe what you believe? It's important that we understand and have a good working knowledge of the scriptures. Here in this, we see that Jesus, and we know he completed the work of redemption. He's provided access for all of us to come into his very presence. Isn't that an amazing thing? That you and I can come into the Holy of Holies, present our request, make our needs known unto the Father, and, and he, we will be heard by him. As I was putting this study together, <clears throat> I hadn't really paid attention to this little gem in, in Malachi 1.11 before, uh, but it's pertinent to our study this morning to some degree. Matthew, or Malachi, uh, no, he's not the Italian prophet. That's Malachi, no, no. It's Malachi. Malachi 1.11. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name. And a pure offering, for my name shall be great 
among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. How is it that incense could be offered everywhere? Wasn't that restricted to the temple and to the prayers of the priests and all? Well, think about that for a moment. He says his name is going to be great among the Gentiles. And so that would be among us as Gentiles. And whose name do we pray in? In Jesus' name. And who is it that uh, are the temple of God? Is it not the church of Jesus Christ? Is it not you and I? Are not, we're sort of portable tabernacles. We are filled with the glory of God. We have his spirit. And do we not offer prayer in Jesus' name everywhere? So wherever we are, we offer praise. It comes up before God, as it were, in incense. We'll get into that concept of our prayers taking on that form as, they lead, as we voice that and it echoes through the heavenlies. It comes up before the throne of God as an offering of incense and that's the same way that he received the Old Testament sacrifice. Does it not say that it was a sweet-smelling savor? Was, G- was God hanging over the altar going, like we hover over our grills when we cook our f- steaks? <laughs> uh, it's symbolic, obviously, but it's, it's also symbolic in a sense we read in Revelation as the prayers of the saints were offered as incense before the Lord. This is a pretty powerful concept. But this study this morning is how to pray. And I think um, there are some conversational rules that we need to observe as we have conversation with our Father in Heaven. And notice, uh, as Jesus said here, when you pray, notice the word when. It um, sort of communicates or assumes that the children of God, the citizens of the kingdom, are going to pray. It's what we do. We have conversation with God. Yes, we have good works. Those three important duties that Christians have were to have good works. We pray and we fast. Um, We do what we can with what we have where God has placed us, do we not? Uh, We serve with good works using the resources that God has placed in our hands. We pray from our hearts for the will of God to happen on the earth as it happens in heaven, as we sang this morning. We fast to humble ourselves and to give ourselves fully to him for his purpose. And yet, sometimes we better understand how to do something when we understand what not to do. And so Jesus begins this in Matthew's gospel, at least, to instruct the disciples on how to pray by showing them how not to pray. So I want to spend some time uh, from that first gospel of Matthew to uh, break down what we are not supposed to do. And many of you are aware of these things. Do not be like the hypocrites. In verse 5 there of chapter 6, uh, don't be an actor, you know, and literally it is hypocrite, the one who wears a mask, uh, the idea is pre- being pretentious. Nobody likes uh, a pretender, and there are lots of pretenders in the world, and we can see right through them, and so God can see right through people who are just praying words that mean nothing other than just what they are, words. These guys would stand to be seen on the street corners, to be heard by men, 
and their prayers were not directed to the Lord. And so the idea is that when we pray, we are to pray to him. We are, we are thinking about him, just like when you talk to your wife, you're looking at her, she, you're looking at him, your husband. It's a conversation. You're not talking to the wall, <laughs> although sometimes you might think that happens. Like, I might as well talk to the wall, but not in this case. <laughs> We're talking directly to the Father. Um, we don't want to be doing things to be noticed by others, which is what they were doing. And notice the emphasis, as we read there, is to go to the secret place. That is not to shun public prayer, because public prayer, such as we would do here, is something that we sh can do and should do. Uh, pastors have to do a lot of, usually, a lot of public praying, um, and not usually on the street corners, but uh, in churches and funerals, weddings, all kinds of places. But in that culture, it was different. It's a different time, different culture. And it should be, public prayer is to be practiced um, with the right motives, obviously. Uh, and it should ref always reflect, our prayer should always ref reflect a true conversation. I can tell that that person or myself, I am really talking to God and not somebody else. Um, you know, you can, you can tell... You can tell what people, who are people are talking to when they're praying. I mean, it's just the way it is, right? And um, why did the disciples ask Jesus to teach them? But if you haven't been paying attention, when Jesus prayed, he got results. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm kind of the same opinion. When I pray, I like to get results. I, I want, I pray because there's a need. And so I'm asking God for it. And when I don't receive the results that I'm praying for, then I begin to ask Why? Now, I can accept no for an answer from God, and that's okay to do that. But if it's not no and it's not being answered, well, then what's the deal? Is my motive not right? Is there something wrong with what I'm, how I'm praying or how I'm seeing it? And what's hindering the answer? And so this is, should cause us, when we have a delay uh, in answering the prayer, of, you know, to uh, self-examine uh, the motives of our heart. You know, I think it's often we need to remind ourselves who we are actually talking to. We are talking to the king. We are talking to the creator of the universe whose ears are attuned and he is listening very closely to every word and he sees and understands the motive of our heart. That in and of itself should be humbling for us. But we need uh, to... Remind ourselves on occasion who we are addressing. The other thing that's important is that we should also, I think, examine our prayers. Have you ever noticed that as you are praying sometimes and you get finished praying and then you think, why did I pray that like that? And it's sort of like I really wasn't planning on praying it like that, but it sort of came out that way. Or I started, I got into the subject issue or need issue that I really wasn't thinking about when I started my prayer time. And so I think it's important to reflect on that because sometimes God is showing us naturally, supernaturally, through our prayers, his will and his purpose. You ever get the feeling after you've prayed and you've been thinking about something and lifting in this issue or something before the Lord for quite some time and you just kind of get the feeling like, you know what, this is what should be done or this is what I should do that's 
sort of how it works. You're not going to get this voice in your head saying, yes, my son, this is my will. Do this. If you get that, good for you, but it doesn't happen that way for me. And it's different for everybody. God doesn't have to speak English or whatever language you have uh, to communicate with us. He communicates us primarily, as we know, through the Spirit. But the point is, as, as we pray, the will of God will sort of dawn on us, like, okay, this is what I should do. And this is, again, the purpose of prayer. Now, some other things to consider since we're in this area of how not to pray. Um, there is what I would refer to, and others have referred to this too, is called the information prayer. This is the prayer where I'm filling the Lord in on all the details. I'm, I'm, I'm actually treating the king, the guy who knows it all. I mean, there isn't anything that escapes his knowledge. God is never in a place of learning anything. So for me, a mere human being to fill God in on all the details is, let's just put it bluntly, it's a waste of time. I can see it would be like... Now, I don't know that the Lord does that on his throne. I'm not saying that. He might. Or he might be rolling his eyes. I don't know. The point is, we don't need to inform the Lord. As we've read there, the Lord already knows our needs before we ever ask him. And so, just be careful of informational prayers. And, and then, of course, there's the instructional prayer. And that, that's, there's two sides to that instructional type prayer. One is, um, I'm letting other people that are, and this is in the public prayer scene, I'm letting others around me, uh, I'm kind of filling them in on what I'm praying about rather than really talking to the Lord about it. I'm talking to them because I want them to know about the situation. It might be better just to wait, either have it before or afterwards to instruct the people that you feel like need to know the information. But when you pray, just talk to God. It should be a conversational with Him. And the other side of instructional prayers is trying to suggest to the Lord how He might actually do the thing that you're asking for. Now, this is a really pretty good idea, Lord. You could do it this way. It would be just perfect for the situation here. And the Lord says, I'm sure it would, but I've got a better way. And so, and as we know, the best way to end all of our prayers is not my will, but your will be done. But those are a couple things we ought not to get involved with if, uh, and waste time and, and trying to, uh, as it were, enlighten the Lord. Um, and then there's those times when we go to prayer and we really don't know what to say or how to get going. And we just, it's one of like, tried to hit the mark prayer. You know, we just, we're just going for it. And hopefully by the time we get partly in there, we're on course of what we really should be praying about anyway. You know, and I don't want to discourage anyone from praying, but just go for it. And that's okay, because you'll get there um, eventually. I think it's important to have thoughtful prayers. I think it's important to... I don't have a problem with lists. I think making lists are important. It helps it get it out of your mind and into a, an, maybe an order, you know, because you are addressing the king. You, you are, this is important to you. This is a situation in your life that means something to you. So there's nothing wrong, and it's quite appropriate to think it through and have thoughtful prayers and, and earnest prayer. And so... Um, 
break out your pens and pencils when it comes to prayer. It's a good thing. Now, um, vain repetitions, repeating things over and over. Literally, the word vain repetition means prattle. Just long prayers. Uh, And, of course, Jesus sort of reproved that, you know. They think they might be heard. You know, the longer you pray, the more apt God's going to, you know, hear you. Well, here's... He hears silent prayers, so the length of, the, of a prayer doesn't make it more valid, uh, nor the shortness of a prayer make it less valid. Um, they think, as he said, they're, they're going to be heard for speaking many words. Um, you know, they probably got long-winded and flowery in their rhetorical orations. And, of course, what God is looking for isn't that, He's looking at the motive of the heart, the sincerity of the heart. I think it's good to just just keep it simple. Uh, it's good to be concise, be on point, because God already knows. And really what prayer does, if we examine our prayers, we're really aligning ourselves with his purpose and plans. And that's why he's engaged, we're engaged in this conversation. Because not only are we communicating with him, he wants to communicate with us. And so uh, we want to avoid some of those things. But one of the things we don't want to avoid is going into the secret place. It's go to your private place where it's just you and the Lord. And uh, I know that praying goes beyond what you guys do here Sunday morning, and I'm grateful for that. Um, I just pray that he would give us more grace to pray without ceasing and to pray uh, with fervency every time we come before him. So we don't use vain repetitions. And in doing that, there's a promise here. Don't miss this wonderful thing here. If you pray in secret, where nobody else can hear, it's just you and Jesus. It's just you and the Lord. You and your Father in heaven. He's going to reward you openly. The blessings that will come upon your life are going to be seen not only by you, but by others. And this is a wonderful thing. Openly here is the, uh, means evident, visible, known. And, and so uh, God loves doing things in secret. He's humble. There's something about secrecy and humility that are sort of akin to each other. And, and um, when it comes to answer prayer, I just want to thank the Lord. And I thank him often for the GAP team. That's uh, Gals at Prayer Ministry here. They have been called by God as intercessors. They keep a track, uh, they have a, a, a record of things they pray for, and the number of prayers that have been answered over all the years is just, you know, it's a volume. It's not only a book now, it's almost a volume of things that God has done in the lives of, not only some of you can attest to that, but uh, people that don't go to this church, extended family members, mended relationships, jobs, provisions, I mean, just to name a few things. God is at work. Prayer, intercessory prayer, one of the most important things um, that can be done by the people of God. God has openly answered many of those prayers. We're sitting in this building, uh, part of them praying, not just them, but every member of the church praying that God would bless us. And look what he's done. He's blessed us. So it's an open, visible evidence of God at work. So Jesus just tells the the disciples, don't be like 
the religious establishment. Don't be religious. Have a relationship. I mean, let's think about this. Some people, there's an insecurity there, and so they, they have to somehow validate themselves by praying in such a way that makes other people think, oh, my, wow, they're really spiritual. You know, they want that, they want to hear stuff like that. And that's kind of sad because they haven't really accepted the righteousness of God, which is a gift. Now, let's just think about that for a moment. How can you be more righteous than righteous? I mean, do you think, I mean, we're righteous because of what Jesus did, right? And he gave that to you and I as a gift. Now, how is it that I could possibly think that I could do something else to make myself more righteous? It's impossible. So you just learn, after a bit, of walking with the Lord that you don't need to add one thing to what Jesus has done. Just sit down, relax, and enjoy and appreciate what God has done for you in the person of Jesus Christ. God loves us for who he made us to be, and God knows how to bring many sons and daughters to glory. Much of our relationship with the Lord is unseen by others, and it should be. You know, the world has no clue how intimate of a relationship you have with God. And you know what? It's none of their business. It's personal. You have a personal relationship with Jesus, and you don't need to advertise that. You just, it's between you and the Lord. So to be praying, uh, for others to impress them, well, there's no need to go there. And so, this is all in contrast. Think of Jesus bringing this material, bringing this teaching before the disciples, and all they had to have, all they had in their minds was the example of the, the religious Pharisees. And these guys were not into personal relationship. They were into religion, religion okay, which is man's attempt to reach God, where relationship is what God has done to reach us. It's one-on-one. It's personal. It's individual as well as corporate. They got into some, I won't spend a lot of time there, but you can look up John 8, 18 and 19. I can give you that verse. Um, He got into some real exchanges there in chapter 8 of John's Gospel. Jesus said to them, you know, he's being questioned about using this word father. Where is your father? And Jesus answered, you neither know me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And that only, that's the beginning of the exchange. And I'll give you some time, and you know, use some time this weekend to, to check into the remainder of that chapter. Some verses, and it got heated. Jesus said, you are your father, the devil. I mean, these are the guys representing Yahweh. And he's telling them that their father is the devil. So that didn't go over too well with them anyway. And so he leaves that how we shouldn't pray to come into the true instruction. Sometimes when you've blown it and you've messed up, now you're primed and you understand how not to do it you're primed to receive how to pray and so as we look at this model prayer that is what it is I know there's people that pray this rotely 
and make the Lord's Prayer vain repetition. That is not what it's for. This is a model prayer. This is, this is a prayer that sort of is the foundation of all other prayers, a sort of a structure by which we can put our other prayers after. It's kind of like a, an index, I think, of a book. You know, if you want to know what the contents of a book are, you look in the index. You know, you, okay, this is what this book's about. This is what's covered in the book. But the book itself is the contents, the thoughts of the author, right? So you don't recite the index if you, to others. Oh, the, 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 you know, no, you, you recite the information that you've read in. It's the contents that are important. So he is revealing God's thoughts here on how we should approach his heavenly throne to find grace. The grace we need all the time. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly, which means with confidence, to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy to find grace to help in time of need. This is why we pray. Jesus is going to reveal and has revealed here how we should pray. We're only going to cover um, the first three contents of the index here this morning. We're going to get it. This is just too much, too rich to just run through. It'll take us a couple weeks to get through learning how to pray. So let's read it one more time. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those are the three contents. This is the heavenly side of prayer. It is the Lord's side. It is personal. He is our Father. It has His purpose, which is the kingdom of God. It has His a plan, which is His will for those who like you know, alliterations, personal purpose and plan, okay? You know, you get the three Ps going on here. We have a personal relationship with our Father. We align ourselves with His purpose, and He has a plan that His is His will that should be done. But it starts out with our Father. You know, prayer is often a response because something's going on inside us. We're, we're responding. We have His Spirit. We're responding to the Lord, He's calling us out. He's calling us to himself. This is, this is an important thing to understand. God is calling you. You just feel a sense, I just need to pray. Sometimes you just feel like I need to read the Bible, right? But there's other times I just need to pray. Let's just think about this for a moment. It's hard to believe and for some of us to accept the fact of how much God really loves us and wants us to be in his presence. He explained this to the woman at the well in John 4. He said, woman, believe me. Now, when Jesus says, believe me, we probably should do that. The hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 
So this is the heart of the Father. He wants us to draw near. Would you not say prayer is our form of worship? It's more than just singing. Actually, the songs that we sing are actually our prayers to him in a melodic form. And this is important. We draw near to God. He tabernacles, as it were, in the praises of his people. We gain wisdom. We gain understanding as we uh, engage with the Lord. This whole creation of mankind was so that God could enjoy fellowship with man, man with God. You know, we change the world around us through prayer. You know, if there's something in our home, something in our life that we don't like, what do we do? Well, we seek to change it. There's a lot of things in this world that need changing. So really should indicate we have a lot of praying to do. <laughs> we need to pray. Prayer changes things, changes me, changes you. And God wants us to seek him that he might impart his blessings, not only temporally in this earthly realm, but also for eternal blessings. We are to direct our prayers to our Father. Again, it's not a title for God. There is a Father. He is the first person of the triune Godhead. He is our Father. If you read this, Lord's model of prayer, you'll notice that there are no singular personal pronouns here. It's all in the plural. We, our, and us. When I think of that, it's not about me, not about you, us as individuals, but think corporately. We are part of a family. I think it's important for the church and the believers to be reminded of the body of Christ concept. We live in such an individualistic culture. Me, 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 you, 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 you know, it's just, it's kind of sad uh, it's self-exaltation on a grand scale it seems to be taking place but when you come into the church and you come to the Lord you are brought into the family relationship and that's important for us we have most of us are have blood relatives we have children we have siblings we have parents we get the family concept but now when you come into the family of God it's brothers and sisters all over the world. We are the body of Christ. Family is there, has a support system. Relationships usually don't get better as you age. We establish a lot of relationships in our early years. School, 20s, we've got a lot of energy. Social, we socialize more. Then we get married, we have kids. That sort of shrinks, that social structure sort of shrinks and then when the kids get old they leave then that you only have a smaller one on a regular basis and so sometimes the body of Christ becomes the social structure for older people and if you haven't established relationships prior to old age you know they say 45 after 45 they don't get better you got to work at relationship you understand that this is what the Bible is all about it's not about what I know, but it's about how I get along with God on the vertical axis and man 
on the horizontal axis. This is what the law is all about, the Ten Commandments, right? One table for my relationship with God. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And no idols, no false gods. He's a jealous God. It's him and him only. Got to have this right. And if I have this right, it's going to be a lot easier to have this right. Love your neighbor as yourself. Wow, big calling. This is important. But Jesus is talking about a relationship later on here that Paul picked up in Romans 8.15. We've been given the Spirit. How do we relate to our Father in Heaven? He sent forth His Spirit into our hearts and now we cry out, Abba, Father. Now that's, one, that's a couple notches above Daddy. It is intimate but he is my father who has my best interest, your best interest in mind. There can be no greater love than the love of a father that the father has for you and I. Think of the most loving human parent that you can imagine, and it's not even close to the love that God has as our father. Now, I know some people hate this whole comparison of the father. Oh, I, my dad was a bad man. And so I've got this distorted view of a father. Well, there are those that may not have had good earthly fathers, and that's kind of sad. And so you have a distorted view of God as your father, and it's mischaracterized in your mind because of that. Well, you know, please understand that our Father in Heaven is not like uh, your father who may have not been what he should have been. But don't compare that to our Father in Heaven we have got a, a God that's more accessible than any human parent could ever be. He's there. He's there for us. Our God is holy, it says here. This is hallowed be his name. Hallowed, sanctified. There's, he's in a class of one. He has no equal. He is beyond our comprehension. He is the incomprehensible God. He's mysterious. He's beyond us. He's holy. I wish, if, he were, if there were a God you hear, I would, I th why don't he just take out all the evil? Why don't he remove all the evil? Well, he could do that. He has the power to do that. But you understand that if God would remove all the evil from the earth, that means he would remove me and yourself. All of mankind would go with that because there's none that does good. Right? But God is merciful. He is holy. He's restricted his involvement with mankind because of who he is. His love requires mercy. His love required him to do something to provide atonement for those who were born into sin. And he's holy. And we're to approach him with reverence. His name, I'm not going to have enough time to uh, go through all of this, but I'm going to give you the references and because we've taught on this before, but I think this is one of the best studies uh, that you can look at when it comes to the Father. He is the I Am. He starts out in Exodus 3, so you can go to Exodus 3. But this Moses character, the more he hung around this Yahweh guy, the more he loved him. And he wanted to see his glory. Exodus 33, 19 through 23. Exodus 34, Four through nine, those are scriptures that you need to have as your arsenal. 
You need to have a good working knowledge. God revealed his name and his glory. He, he said, look, I'm going to hide you, Moses, here in the cleft of the rock, and I'm going to pass by because nobody can see my face. But I'm going to let you look at my hinder parts. And so he hid Moses, as it were, in the cleft of the rock. He blew by, whoosh, proclaimed his name. The glory of the Lord, Moses saw that the one and the same, the name and the glory. But then what does it tell us in Corinthians? That God has revealed himself in the face of Jesus Christ. And so we now know and understand the nature and character of God more fully because Jesus is the express image of the Father. Hebrews 1. So put those in your arsenal. You need to have them. He's the only one that is worthy of worship. Verse 2 talks about the kingdom. And this is uh, where I'm going to pick up next week because it's 1132. His person. I want you to focus on that this week. Think of the grandness. Think of the person that you are praying to. Consider his name, his glory. Consider these scriptures that have been given to you and pour over them. Allow the Holy Spirit to enlighten you and draw an appreciation of the one who thinks about you and never stops. If the grains of the sands of the seashore could be measured, could be counted, God's thoughts are more than that towards you. Doesn't that, isn't that mind-blowing? You know, take Anybody have any sand in the sandbox? Got a sandbox in your house? Just go out there and scoop up just a teaspoon. Take it in, in the counter and start separating it and start counting. You'll never get through that teaspoon, will you? And many of you aren't even going to accept the challenge because you know it's futile to try to count it, right? And that's okay. You get the point. The seashore is much bigger than a teaspoon. His thoughts for us individually are more than can be counted. He loves you. He thinks about you. You're on his mind 24-7, 365 for eternity. Isn't that amazing? His person. And Jesus is teaching us how to engage the Father, how to engage Him. So that's the challenge this week. Shall we stand? Father, You are <laughs> too much for us to grasp. But we try. We try our best to imagine how glorious it must be on the other side. Oh, Father, just... Enlarge our hearts. Help us to see, help us to grasp more and more of who you are, to appreciate you for who you are and what you have done and what you do on our behalf. Thank you for taking the time, Lord, to instruct us, to teach us who you are and your ways. And now I pray, Father, that you would help us to walk in those ways that we might glorify you with our works, in our thoughts, in our deeds, and honor you as you should be honored. Bless your children today, Lord. Bless each and every one of us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.